Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet them, greet them, treat them, and street them. Today's date is September 15th, 2022, and I am your skeptical host, Dennis Wren. The title of today's show is Hi Ho, Hi Flow versus CPAP in Acutely Ill Children. And this is the October installment of SGEM Peds. Today's guest skeptic is Dr. Spiros Karayogos, who is a pediatric resident at Aya Sophia Children's Hospital in Athens, Greece, and a master's student in pediatric emergency medicine at Queen Mary University in London. Welcome to the SGEM, Spiros. Thanks, Dennis. It's a pleasure to be here with you today, and also congratulations on your new role as SGEM faculty. I'm looking forward to seeing the monthly SGEM pediatric episode. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for joining us all the way from Athens. Before we get started, do you have any conflicts of interest to declare? No, no conflict of interest to declare. Perfect. And I think you've brought a case for us? Yeah, let's get started. So, a 10-month-old male infant presents to the emergency department with a low-grade fever, rhinorrhea, and reduced feeding during the last two days. During examination, you notice that there is increased work of breathing, nasal flaring, grunting with subcostal and intercostal retractions. He's breathing at a rate of 75 per minute, while the oxygen saturation level is at 86% on room air. You make a clinical diagnosis of severe bronchiolitis. You decide that you're going to start with a low-flow oxygen therapy, but there is no clinical improvement. Then you discuss with the family the possibility that the child may need to be admitted in the pediatric intensive care unit and require escalation of respiratory support with another modality of non-invasive ventilation. Parents look worried and ask you, what kind of non-invasive support are you planning to start? Yikes. So give us a little bit of the background here because this kid sounds sick. Sure thing. The use of high-flow nasal cannula has increased in both the pediatric intensive care unit and also during the last years in the pediatric emergency department, especially for infants presenting in an acutely ill state with respiratory distress that requires non-invasive ventilation. However, despite the rise in popularity, there is a lack of high-quality evidence surrounding the use of high-flow nasal cannula. Yeah, and most of these studies are observational rather than randomized controlled trials. And the randomized controlled trials that have been performed demonstrated that early initiation of high-flow nasal cannula led to lower rates of treatment failure or escalation to high-flow nasal cannula. Hmm. And even the results of meta-analyses are mixed. The SGEM covered the use of high-flow nasal oxygen for bronchiolitis with Dr. Ben Lawton on SGEM number 228. Spiros, can you remind us of the SGEM bottom line from that episode? Of course. I totally enjoyed this episode with Dr. Ben Lawton. The bottom line said that high-flow oxygen therapy is not required for every child in hospital with bronchiolitis. It will continue to have a role in supporting those with more severe disease, but the potential benefits and harms will need to be considered within the context of where it is being used. And there are a few proposed mechanisms for high-flow nasal cannula. Could be positive pressure, reduced upper airway resistance, 
wash out of the dead space in the nasopharynx, and more comfort with the humidified air. But data regarding the clinical effectiveness of high-flow nasal cannula compared to CPAP is limited. In 2018, Ramana et al. performed a multi-center pilot randomized controlled trial of high-flow nasal cannula versus CPAP in pediatric critical care that confirmed the feasibility of performing a large multicenter trial comparing high-flow nasal cannula versus CPAP in pediatric intensive care unit. And the first ABC master protocol included two randomized control trials, one in acutely ill children requiring respiratory support, that was the STEP-UP RCT, and one in children requiring respiratory support after extubation from invasive ventilation, and that was the STEP-DOWN RCT. And this had the aim of assessing the clinical and cost-effectiveness of high-flow nasal cannula as the first-line mode of non-invasive respiratory support in critically ill children. And today we're focusing on the STEP-UP RCT. So what's the clinical question we're trying to answer today? In acutely ill pediatric patients requiring non-invasive ventilation in the pediatric intensive care unit, is high-flow nasal cannula non-inferior to CPAP in terms of time to liberation from all forms of respiratory support? And what's the reference? Today, we'll be talking about a recent article published in JAMA at early June by Ramnarayan et al. with the title, Effect of high-flow nasal cannula therapy versus continuous positive airway pressure therapy on liberation from respiratory support in acutely ill children admitted to pediatric critical care units. And let's move on to our PCOT questions. What's the population that they included? They included pediatric patients between 36 weeks, corrected gestational age, and less than 16 years old, requiring non-invasive respiratory support for acute illness from 24 pediatric intensive care units and high dependence units in the United Kingdom between August 2019 and November 2021. And who was excluded? So there were several exclusion criteria including clinical decision to initiate other mode of ventilation, for example, intubation or invasive ventilation, if there was a tracheostomy in place, if the patient has received CPAP or high-flow nasal cannula for more than two hours prior to randomization, if the patient had supplemented oxygen at home, presence of air leak, mid-facial or craniofacial anomalies, and if the patient was previously recruited to the first ABC trial. And what was their intervention? Intervention was high-flow nasal cannula based on body weight, and we have included a table. And what were they trying to compare it to? CPAP of 7 to 8 centimeters of water. And let's move on to the outcomes. What was their primary outcome? Time from randomization to liberation from respiratory support, and this was defined as the start of the 48-hour period during which the child was free from any respiratory support, excluding supplemental oxygen. And what were their secondary outcomes? They included several secondary outcomes, such as mortality at critical care discharge, rate of intubation at 48 hours, duration of critical care and acute hospital stay, patient comfort, sedation during non-invasive respiratory support, parental stress, and adverse events up to 48 hours after liberation from respiratory support. And what kind of trial was this? 
So it was an unblinded, multi-center, parallel group, randomized, non-inferiority trial. And can you tell us what the author's conclusions were? So the authors concluded that among acutely ill children, clinically assessed to require non-invasive respiratory support in a pediatric critical care unit, high-flow nasal cannula compared with CPAP met the criterion for non-inferiority for time to liberation from respiratory support. And let's move on to our quality checklist for randomized control trials. First question. The study population included or focused on those in the emergency department? No. This trial focused mainly on pediatric patients being admitted in pediatric intensive care units or high dependence units. And were these patients adequately randomized? Yes. Was the randomization process concealed? Yes, it was. And were the patients analyzed in the groups to which they were randomized? So the authors performed both primary analyses according to randomization group, but also per protocol analysis. And were these study patients recruited consecutively? Unfortunately, no. 849 patients were eligible but not enrolled for several reasons. And moreover, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, enrollment had to stop twice in most participating sites. Were the patients in both groups similar with respect to prognostic factors? Yes, authors did a great job. And were all the participants unaware of group allocation? No. Unfortunately, due to the nature of the intervention, blinding was not possible for this trial. And do you think all the groups were treated equally except for the intervention? Mm, it's a bit unsure. And was follow-up complete? Yes. And did they consider all important patient outcomes? Yes, they did. And do you think the treatment effect was large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? A bit unsure, but we'll talk more about it in the talk nerdy section, which I love. You and me both. And our last question on this checklist, were there any financial conflicts of interest? So the lead author reported receiving personal fees from two healthcare companies, but we do not think this impacted the results of the article. Okay, and let's move on to the results section. They randomized 600 children, and that was 41% of all that were eligible. 573 children were included in the primary analysis, with 295 being in the high-flow nasal cannula group and 278 in the CPAP group. 533 children were included in the per-protocol analysis, with the median age for both groups around nine months, and 40% were female. Spiros, can you tell us what the key result was? There were no statistical differences between the high-flow nasal cannula group and CPAP group with regards to time from randomization to liberation from respiratory support. And give us the numbers for that primary outcome. The median time to liberation in the high-flow nasal cannula group was 52.7 hours with a 95 percent confidence interval 45 to 60.1 hours versus 45.4 hours in the CPAP group with a 95 percent confidence interval 40.2 to 53.7 hours. There was an absolute difference 
of 7.3 hours with a 95% confidence interval minus 7.3 to 22.3 hours. The adjusted hazard ratio was 1.03 and this met the criterion for non-inferiority. For the secondary outcomes, there were a lot of secondary outcomes, so we'll put those in a table for you in the show notes, and we'll take some time to highlight a few of those. Interestingly, there was no difference between groups regarding mortality at critical care discharge, patient comfort, and also parental stress scale. Also, sedation use was lower in the high-flow nasal cannula group compared to the CPAP group. And now, our favorite section. Are you ready to talk nerdy? I'm ready to talk nerdy. Our first discussion point here is about non-invasive ventilation devices. This study was attempting to compare high-flow nasal cannula versus CPAP across multiple institutions. However, not all of those institutions use the same device or the same interface when it came to delivering high-flow nasal cannula or CPAP. Indeed, there were seven different types of devices used across the institutions in order to deliver high-flow nasal cannula or CPAP. There were five or six different CPAP interfaces used. And it's hard to guarantee that with this variation, the patients received the same or consistent respiratory support within the same group that they were randomized in. And the modality of CPAP used may also have impacted patient comfort and the decision to switch modalities. Totally agree with you. You want to talk about our second point? Of course. Heterogeneous disease processes. While most previous high-flow nasal cannula studies have looked specifically at application to children with bronchiolitis, this study includes a patient population with a variety of disease processes, including upper airway problems, asthma, cardiac, neurologic, or sepsis, or infection. This is both a strength and weakness of this study. Including a heterogeneous group may make the results more generalizable. Yeah, but on the other hand, it also leaves much more, I would say, appropriate flexibility on behalf of the clinician as to what modality of non-invasive ventilation to use. For example, a patient in whom I may want to optimize preload, I may prefer a modality that avoids excessive positive pressure, leading to decreased systemic venous return. And just a quick disclaimer here, I am skeptical of the ability for high-flow nasal cannula to deliver consistent PEEP, especially in children. Given that it is an open system, there's variability in size of cannula and the nares, and there's a very little control you have over whether or not a pediatric patient keeps their mouth open or closed. I agree with you on that, Dennis. So should we move on? Yeah, let's move on to the third point about selection bias. As we mentioned prior, only 41% of eligible patients were randomized in the study. Of the group of that were eligible but not randomized, 35% were due to clinical decision. The authors cite reasons including preference for high-flow nasal cannula or CPAP, unavailability of pediatric intensive care unit that could not initiate CPAP, availability of CPAP masks, cardiac disease, wheeze, and unsuitability of CPAP or other unspecified reasons. 
these may have led to selection bias. And our fourth point involves switching between high-flow nasal cannula and CPAP. The decision to switch from high-flow nasal cannula and CPAP and vice versa was based on clinicians' judgment. And even though there were specific criteria for switching, a high rate of patients initially randomized to CPAP group were switched to high-flow nasal cannula, mainly due to discomfort, and 20% of patients randomized to high-flow nasal cannula were switched to CPAP, mainly due to clinical deterioration. And this led to two groups being finally more similar than expected. Only 25% of the initial CPAP group and 50% of the initial high-flow nasal cannula group were receiving the allocated treatment 24 hours post-starting support. And this could lessen any potential differences between high-flow nasal cannula and CPAP. And finally, on to our fifth and last nerdy point about clinical judgment and weaning support. We spent time discussing how clinician decision and judgment may have impacted how we interpret the results of the study. However, we do want to take a moment and acknowledge that, well, it should. These were some sick kids, and clinical judgment is one of the pillars of evidence-based medicine, which is the intersection of the relevant scientific evidence, clinical judgment, and the patient's or family's preferences and values. We want to mention one last thing. This was an unblinded study, but investigators did take steps to attempt to reduce bias. One of the things they did was that they established standard criteria and algorithms for initiation and winning of high-flow nasal cannula and CPAP. Per the algorithm, a clinician should consider winning support if the FiO2 was less or equal to 0.4 and respiratory distress is not severe. The second part of this is rather subjective and it calls for winning the flow by 50%. And Dennis, I want your input into that. Yeah, I'm not aware of any standards when it comes to weaning high-flow nasal cannula, but I would imagine that there are some clinicians out there that might be hesitant to wean the flow by dropping it by 50%. It might feel a bit aggressive to go from a flow of 40 liters immediately down to 20 liters, and some patients may not tolerate it either, leading to more treatment failures, escalation, or even hesitancy to wean. Spiros, can you comment on the author's conclusions compared to the SGEM conclusion? Of course. The high-flow nasal cannula may be non-inferior to CPAP with regards to time to liberation from respiratory support compared to CPAP, with shorter critical care and acute hospital stay and less sedation use. However, limitation of the study should be totally considered when interpreting the results. And can you give us the SGEM bottom line? In acutely ill pediatric patients requiring non-invasive respiratory support, high-flow nasal cannula or CPAP may be considered depending on the patient's presenting condition and pathophysiology. And can you resolve that case for us? You inform the parents that there are different types of non-invasive respiratory support currently available in pediatric intensive care unit, but your institution commonly uses high-flow nasal cannula and CPAP. Both may be appropriate, but high-flow nasal cannula may be more comfortable in comparison to CPAP. 
parents are happy to start with high-flow nasal cannula and the patient is transferred to the pediatric intensive care unit for further care. How do we apply this? In acutely ill pediatric patients requiring non-invasive respiratory support, you may consider either high-flow nasal cannula or CPAP. Use clinical judgment in determining the most appropriate modality of non-invasive ventilation based upon the patient-presenting condition and pathophysiology. We are looking forward to future multinational randomized controlled trials to potentially identify subgroups that could be benefited by either mode of therapy. Inspiros, what are you telling these parents that are worried about their sick child? You inform them that your child has a condition called bronchiolitis and is working very hard to breathe. You can see him breathing very fast and using extra muscles to help him breathe. I would like to start him on some respiratory support in order to help him. And we have the option of using something called high-flow nasal cannula or continuous positive airway pressure. Both may be helpful, but high-flow nasal cannula might be a bit more comfortable for your son. Let's start with that and have him stay in the pediatric intensive care unit for close monitoring. Well, Spiros, thanks for resolving that case for us and reassuring the parents. And thank you for joining us on the SGEM. It was my pleasure, Dennis, and looking forward to the next one. Absolutely. And before we go, can you remind us of the SGEM tagline? Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you shared it with the Skeptics Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone later.